Welcome to the first of our series of podcasts for Black History Month, where we are in conversation with a Black academic at SOAS and a Black student at SOAS talking about higher education and being being part of the SOAS community. My name is Lucia Kula. I am the Black Student Support Coordinator at SOAS, and uh, with me is Altea Maria Rivas and Sade. Please introduce yourself, Altea. Hi, everyone. I'm, uh, my name is Dr. Althea Maria Rivas. I'm a lecturer in development studies at SOAS. Thank you. Sade, please go ahead. Hi, my name's Sade. I'm a fresher, so first year. Haven't even had my first lecture yet. Um, and I'll be studying development studies and social anthropology. With this podcast, we really want to have students in conversation with academic staff at SOAS to see how the engagement of being in a higher education institution uh, impacts and is for Black students and Black uh, members of staff. Uh, we have Sharday here who will be asking Altea some questions about her experience being an academic, being a Black academic, and also what it means to, as a Black student to go into the university for the first time and what the expectations are. So my first question is really basic. It's can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Well, I'm fairly new to SOAS. I started in the Department of Development Studies last October. And before that, I held positions at uh, the University of Sussex and York University in Toronto. And I also did my postdoc at University of Bath in the UK. And my research really focuses on gender, conflict and violence and understanding the intersections of those things and kind of the racialized and gendered nature of processes around development, uh, humanitarian intervention, post-conflict reconstruction, social justice, and, and violence. So, uh, Sharde, you're studying development studies and anthropology as well. Why did you choose to study that? Yeah, I actually came to the subject pretty last minute. Um, I was originally due to start a course in history of art and archaeology with social anthropology, but I decided kind of at the final hurdle to switch to development studies because I'd always been interested in looking at historical issues of systemic gender, race, class, and geographical-based inequality, and mainly looking at that through art and how that was um, reflected in the art of the time. But I kind of decided, um, not that I didn't want to dwell at the past, but dwell on the past, but rather than looking back, I wanted to look forward and see what could be done to address these issues. And that's why I kind of sidestepped into development studies and anthropology instead. What has drawn you to academia and your particular area of research? So I worked in, after finishing my master's degree in Canada in public policy, I worked in development and humanitarian aid for about 12 years and diplomacy as well, actually. I started my career in diplomacy. And I think I decided I wanted to do a PhD because I was troubled by a lot of the things that I uh, observed and noticed when I was an aid worker. And so the PhD for me was a space to reflect on some of those things and to really think about what was going on. Yeah, my, my professional experiences that kind of led me to an academic career. And my area of research, I really, I researched very much the same kind of things I was engaged in when I was uh, an aid worker. So my research, like I said before, it looks at aid, at um, conflict and violence and really understanding those processes, why people are violent, what it means to live in conflict at an everyday level and how social relationships uh, between different groups of people are formed. Do you think that 
the area of research that you've chosen it has been in a way impacted or influenced by your own personal background? Yeah, definitely. My professional background, as I was saying, you know, because I was an aid worker for such a long time and now I'm kind of researching aid from a different uh, vantage point. But also the fact that at the core of my work, I look at the racialized and gendered nature of these processes. And I think that definitely is a reflection of being a Black scholar, of um, kind of the places that I've lived in my life and also kind of the obstacles that I've seen people um, go through. So sort of following on from that, what are some of the challenges you face as a Black scholar in your area of research? Well, there's there's a, a couple of them uh, that I could probably talk about. I think one of the biggest ones is just the lack of Black scholars in the UK academic circles. There's very few Black scholars in my field. Um, so there's very few Black scholars in the UK, I should say, to begin with, and Black female scholars. But in my field in particular, there's not very many. There's just a handful of us, and actually we all we all kind of know each other. So that's been a challenge because you just, as a faculty member, you know, you're always the only Black person in your department and sometimes in your school. So it, it finding that community is, is not that easy in the UK. I also think, and, and definitely related to that, the, the lack of numbers of, of Black scholars, there's a lack of space to really investigate intersectionality and kind of the racialized dimensions and discriminative structures within society in relation to the topics that I research in development studies. So there's very few people that research race and development, for example. And within those conversations about race and development, sometimes it's very difficult to have uncomfortable conversations or to really interrogate these issues and the power structures because because of the whiteness of academia, there's a, a hesitation to really to deconstruct these things that some, you know, that um, the people within the country that we're, we're located in are part of. So it tends to be sometimes a very, it can be a superficial conversation. I find that frustrating as a scholar, a serious race scholar. The other thing is, particularly I think in regional conferences in the UK, and this again is related to the lack of Black scholarship, very few times do you find a lot of scholars of colour. So for example, if you go to the you know Latin American Studies Association, the African Studies Association conferences, it's mainly white scholars talking about these other places in the, in the rest of the world or in the global south. And that for a Black scholar or for somebody from the global south can be quite disconcerting. But that is really the tradition in the UK. And I think that's a, a deterrent to many people to entering into research careers from racialized backgrounds. Thank you, Althea. That's, that's a very interesting perspective. Uh, Sade, um, as a first-year student in anthropology and development studies, you may or may have not already seen some of your cohort. Uh, do you think that being a Black student within the course that you've chosen has, uh, will have an impact on what you will eventually do with your, with your degree? Yeah, well, I haven't yet met anyone from my cohort, but I, I've always had this kind of sense of worry, not even just coming into development studies and anthropology. It was the same going into history of art. It's like when you form an argument, you're coming from a totally different cultural background and that's going to influence your thoughts and opinions. And it's kind of the worry of always being uh, not necessarily the odd one out, but alone in your line of thought. And it's quite difficult to bring other people round to that if they haven't got any sort of shared experience with you to touch back upon. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. And I think one of the difficulties, as Altea mentioned, and you mentioned as well, if you are the only one or one of the few in your area of research or the or the area of study, it's very difficult to then feel to feel free and to open up on raising certain issues that are, of course, very important to us, like issues on gender, issues on race. And you don't want to be the person that always brings up that one topic. So 
a lot of that um, brings challenges naturally, but it can also bring some amazing successes for that. So Sharday, what would be your next question for Altea? Challenges also come with success. So what have been some pivotal moments in your career thus far? Well, I think this year, earlier this year, I finished my first monograph. So I think that's probably the most recent pivotal moment. So that was uh, the monograph that came from or came out of my PhD research. So it took a long time to actually finish that book. And at a point I thought, you know, it would never get done. So when it came out in April this year, when it was finally done and published, it was, it was um, quite a special moment. And so congratulations on your monograph. And how have you incorporated you. these successes in your teaching? Well, one of the things that I've done in my research is engage in and do a lot of research on research ethics and different types of methodologies. And I think, so I use, for example, like photo voice, um, narratives, oral histories in conflict research. And in conflict research, that's, it's very rare. And I try to also do the same types of things in my teaching. So I, I try and incorporate creative expression presentations or podcasts where the students can use different skills in their, in their assessments or, you know, think about the material and discuss the different debates in the material through different formats. Because I think, you know, not all students have the same the same skill set. But it also, when you allow people to tap into that creative side, it gives them a chance to express themselves and think about things in different ways. And for many cultures, you know, oral histories, for example, or storytelling is a big part of the culture or something that's embedded in the tradition. And when you bring that into the classroom, it allows students to, from those backgrounds, to kind of shine in a different way. Thank you. That sounds so interesting. And I think I, I definitely can see how important that is. Looking at my own uh, research area, I do research in law, international law and refugee law and um, incorporate a lot of life stories as well. So stories that have been retold, but also stories within the context of my own lived experiences as a Black woman, as a refugee woman. Um, storytelling has been has been an important aspect of that PhD journey and like shaping the thesis. So I'm really happy to hear that this is becoming something embedded embedded in other aspects of academic work. So thank you for that. What would you like your students to take away from your teaching and mentorship? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think one of the things I do a, a workshop with um, Black and racialized students in the reading group project that I run at, at SOAS and that I ran at Sussex on voice. And this is something that I try and incorporate into my teaching as well. And it's a reflection of my, my, I guess, personal experience in introductory in academia. And the point of that workshop is to emphasize to students how important finding your own voice is. And for them to kind of reflect on the fact that even though, like as we spoke about earlier, you may not see yourself in the surroundings, you may be the only one in the class, it may be difficult for you to speak up. If you don't speak up, if you don't find your own voice, it's it's unlikely that that's going to protect you. So the, the, the workshop itself is around Audre Lorde's transformation of voice into silence. And what I really emphasize to students is, you know, even if it's scary, you have to kind of just try and put yourself out there and, and say what you think, because the feeling afterwards is much more satisfying than, you know, the feeling you get from kind of being quiet or trying to protect yourself because that always leads to frustration. And even if you don't see yourself in the classroom or in the spaces around you, the knowledge that you bring is unique. And in fact, the, the fact that you don't see yourself in those spaces means that the knowledge that you bring is unique. And therefore, it's necessary to bring that knowledge into these spaces. And from that alone, you should try and take confidence. Thank you, Altea. So, so you mentioned mentorship. Uh, Sharde, coming to SOAS, what kind of mentorship did you do you expect or would you like to receive when it comes to engaging in the area of your studies, but also in general, like engaging with other academic staff at SOAS, Black academic staff, uh, for example? What is the mentorship that you would like to see uh, from students with academics? 
For me, I think it's mainly about staff being approachable in the first place. Sometimes it feels as though in academic spaces, everyone seems to know what everyone's doing and how they're doing it and how to do it well. And it's a case where if you don't have that confidence, you don't feel like you can approach anyone to talk about how to improve in certain areas or certain aspects of your work, because it seems like everyone else has got it so perfectly. But so far, SOAS has been very open in the fact that they do offer support, which I like. But then again, I think I heard that we get an academic advisor. Yeah. And but I didn't, it still hasn't been like, I know that they're there, but it hasn't been made explicit what they're there for. Like, is that just for essay writing? Is it for if I felt like I couldn't bring something up in class that I thought would add to the class, but maybe not known how to go about it sensitively? Great, thank you. So mentioning that, academic advisor, Altair, have you been an academic advisor in the past few months and how have you taken on that role for students uh, at SOAS? Have you had any particular differences in how you approach your mentorship to Black students? Yeah, so I've I've been an academic advisor in all of my previous positions and as well at SOAS this year. Um, I had quite a few students. I think I had over 30 students, really. But beyond just the regular academic advising, I also am a mentor in the BME Student Mentorship Program at SOAS, which is a program that they run every year well, for the last few years where they try and match BME students with BME staff, you receive mentorship or you meet with them every um, month for for two hours. So I've done both of, of those things. And then the reading group that I ran was specifically for BME students. It was a decolonial feminist reading group that was also open to male students or uh, trans students as well. But we ended up having uh, 10 women in the group. And that was a reading group that was supposed to that was structured as a a research project. So the methodology was the reading group, but it was really about building community and trying to understand what are the concrete impacts of bringing together BME students with BME staff to read radical political texts in a a small space and how that builds political community. And why do you think that a mentorship program like the Bay Mentorship uh, Program at SOAS is important, specifically, for example, for Black and Brown students? Why is it important to be matched with someone who they can relate to? Well, I think exactly for what you just said, because... you then are matched with someone hopefully that you can relate to or may have shared experiences or perhaps will understand you know some of the your family background or culture and the challenges that might come from that and and then how that translates to your experience in academia but also for me it's really important because as a you know as a black student when I was a student in my undergraduate masters and in my PhD it was a it was difficult you know there were there are difficult experiences because of the, the racism that you face at the institution but also I was someone who worked you know from uh, the first year undergraduate all the way to the end of my PhD. So that financial stress also adds to the kind of stress in terms of, you know, wanting to do well in your studies, but not having as much time as other students. So because of those experiences, I'm really dedicated to working with Black students and trying to make their experiences better than the ones that I had and encouraging them to get into research careers because I think, you know, there's not enough Black scholars and that knowledge needs to be within the academy. And you need support to do that. It's, it's, it's really difficult for Black scholars to just make their way through a research program or PhD and then get into academia without mentorship. So reflecting on your experiences in other institutions, why did you choose SOAS? 
SOAS has a reputation for being, you know, a radical and political space. And that's something my scholarship, you know, I also draw from like radical black texts, decolonial texts. And so intellectually, it seemed like a good home for me. But also I was at Sussex University before, which has a, a similar reputation, but perhaps because of where it's based, it's uh, the student body looks very different. So one of the things that I was looking forward to in terms of coming to SOAS was working with a really international and really diverse um, student body where there were a lot more uh, racialized students. Thank you. So how would you encourage Black students to pursue an academic career? How would I encourage them to pursue an academic career? Well, if you're interested in research as a field, or if you like doing research, like if you really like, you know, reading, you like, you know, writing your essays, if that's something that you might not find easy, but you find um, satisfying, then I encourage you to pursue that by reaching out to faculty members and telling them about your interests, even if you're not sure what you want to do a PhD in, just, you know, asking them about their careers and their like trajectory, what doing a PhD is like, what that means, because people are always willing to talk about those things, right? So I think a PhD itself is is kind of a mystery. You really don't know what a PhD is until you start the PhD often, unless your parents are professors. So the best thing to do if you're interested in a research career is to, you know, ask people, like seek out mentorships or, um, you know, just pose questions because people will generally respond to those things and look for mentorship programs. So often there are some kind of mentorship programs, um, whether it's like student mentorship programs or faculty student membership mentorship programs at the university that you can draw on. There's also more like broader UK-wide um, community. So there's like a UK graduate, Black Graduates Association, I think, as well. And there's um, some of the professional associations. So like the Geography Association, I think. I'm not 100% sure on that one, but there are a couple of um, like disciplinary associations that have mentorship programs as well. So look out for those opportunities. I think that's important. And those people will also hopefully be able to point you in the direction of like scholarships or different kind of opportunities around funding. Thank you. That's such important and very necessary information. Reflecting on my own experiences of studying uh, starting a PhD at SOAS, when I came to SOAS, I came to do my master's initially, and then I stayed on to do my PhD. But to be honest, I did not know what a PhD <laughs> looked like. I, I didn't expect it to be a journey that would basically consume your entire life <laughs> and yeah. challenge you in many different aspects. So I think mentorship in that way, like guiding a student, specific Black students, who want to get into academia is such an important aspect of trying to make sure that different voices are heard when we're talking about uh, scholarship in, in particular areas. Just on that last point, I can't stress how important mentorship is because you, there's a lot of things that you just will not know as a student that will only become like, known to you if somebody who's, who's been through that process before you um, tells you about it. And all the time I see black PhD students or black graduate students miss out on opportunities or get frustrated or not just not be able to be the best version of themselves, not because they're, they don't have the capabilities, but just because they're not given the opportunities or they're not, the opportunities are not made aware to them. So they struggle a lot more than other students because they don't have that support. And so it's, it's really, really important to try and get a good mentor. And sometimes that will not be your supervisor. Sometimes that will be someone else, but, um, you really do need that to be successful, to be successful in academia, really. Yes, and that's really important. So don't be afraid to reach out to people that you think are inspirational or even uh, they don't necessarily have to have anything to do with your area of expertise. You just really want someone to be able to guide you or offer support or even just encouragement. Sometimes just a nice a little conversation saying that you can do it and you keep going. That's all you need, like little motivation. It sometimes goes a long way. I myself like a uh, 
Alteum also had to work throughout my PhD. So that was a challenge. So not having, sometimes not having the mentorship or not having the advice or the information, for example, where you can get scholarship or which, uh, which funds you can apply to. That is all part of things that you can ask a mentor or talk to with a mentor that is engaged and willing to, to help you. So getting Black students into academic spaces is, is a hard and challenging, challenging aspect of, of being in higher education. But I think one of the reasons why mentorship programs like the Bay Mentorship or even um, academic advisors, if they are working properly, can actually motivate students to pursue careers that they wouldn't necessarily think are for them. Because we tend to think that you get into academia to learn a specific skill and that's it. You go to university to study law, to study uh, anthropology, maybe you don't really think beyond what you can do with those things. If you are the type of person that likes to go beyond writing that one essay or you want to ask more than the one essay question, maybe academia is the space for you. So looking back on your reasons for choosing SOAS, have they been reaffirmed? Yeah, I think the best thing at SOAS that I've found, I mean, I have only been here, I think it will be a year on October 1st. So, But the best thing at SOAS for me has been the students, because it is a really diverse student body. But also within that diversity is, you know, a great amount of knowledge and the students are really active and engaged. And that is really satisfying as a faculty member. So I think that energy also encourages me to be more enthusiastic. And I've really enjoyed kind of teaching and engaging with the the students, particularly the, the Black students at SOAS. Thank you. It's amazing. Sharday, why did you choose SOAS? Did you know about SOAS before you made the choice to study this uh, particular um, course? And what motivated you specifically about SOAS to choose this institution? I actually heard about SOAS way before I should have even been looking for degrees or undergraduate programs. But I was drawn mainly to, first of all, the SOAS's global approach. I hadn't come across any place like it at all. And even when it did come for me to decide what I was going to study, although, yes, I did change um, partway through, and where I was thinking about studying, SOAS was still the only place that had such a global approach and looking at the academics they were all really engaged in their field in their fields and I thought that was something I'd really like to learn or learn from and yeah also the student body seemed amazing I'd come for a few open days not for development studies but for history of art and I was completely blown away so I'm hoping it lives up to all of these expectations and thus far it has and more. Thank you. I hope so too. And I think one of the reasons that people do choose do choose SOAS is indeed the community. SOAS has a unique community of international staff, both professional and academic staff, and of course our students. Our students bring so much knowledge and so much uh, energy to the community, and a lot of the excitement that you see behind SOAS, for example, on events, etc., is set up by students, the student society, the student body. They're very engaged. And although this year is going to be a bit different with working remotely and doing a lot of it virtually, we're hoping to keep that community and that excitement uh, alive. So I'm really happy to have you here with us. So as we're doing this session, of course, for Black History Month, last question for you, Sade. As Soassians, what should we take away from Black History Month? I think what's always interesting for me, having moved to the UK now, that Black History Month is in October because uh, I grew up with it being in February. So I always kind of, it's always a bit strange when it arrives so quickly in the year for me. But um, I think the thing to 
remember about Black History Month or Black History is that it's it's all around you, right? So there's Black history everywhere. There's Black history in the UK. It's not just, you know, North American focused as some people like to kind of purport, but also that Black history is global history. So it's really important that when we learn these stories, when, you know, when we learn about different Black figures, when we learn about different struggles in, across the globe, that we then realize that these stories must force us to re-envision and rethink how we understand global history, right? So it's not just like learning Black history allows you to learn, you know, a new about, I don't know, Bob Marley or, you know, a UK figure or Audre Lorde or one person. When we learn those things, we then have to recognize that that changes the history that we've been taught. And therefore, all of these things connect so it just, it's not just an add-on Black history. It's learning Black history is about re-envisioning our global story. And that's for everyone, not just for Black students or Black people. And that is really important. Because otherwise, if we don't do that, then we're not really learning or taking these, ser- these histories and stories and, and knowledges seriously. Thank you, Altenia. What about yourself, Shade? What would you like to take away from Black History Month? Coming at SOAS, um, Black History Month in October, of course, that's literally your first interaction with SOAS. What would you like to see? What would you like so as to reflect on this one for me black history month uh similar to althea has never been about one month black history is lived history it's every day and it's all around the world all at once and i think that's the amazing thing about it so i think for me when we're reflecting on black history month as a time i don't like to see people get really hyped up and really into it and learning about black history for one month I think it's the kind of, the purpose of Black History Month at its core is what we should carry through with us throughout the year. It's about looking at the bigger picture, how things all connect, and the figures that maybe didn't get the attention that they deserve to. And I think um, just keeping that critical thinking with you all the time is what I'd want people to take from Black History Month. Thank you. I definitely agree. And I think for me as well, Black History Month is only it's not only about bringing those things to light, but also celebrating Blackness. So celebrating that Black excellence that we have with it and so making sure that we highlight some of these conversations and important topics that we like to talk about and that are important to talk about. Sometimes it's difficult to bring these conversations to the fore, but it's good to have a month where it's highlighted. As we said, like Black History Month is throughout the year. It's something, it's the lived experience of being Black is not something that you just switch on in, in October, but it's good to have a month where we highlight some of the things that we think are important and we would like to um, bring to the to the rest of the world. So thank you for that. Coming to the last part of our uh, podcast, are there any other reflections or comments that either one of you would like to share with us? I would like to just let people know about the reading group in development studies that we ran or that I ran last year. So it's in development studies, but it's open to racialized students or students of color across the campus. Uh, we'll be running it again this year and it starts in November. So if there are any students who are interested in the reading group, please feel free to email me and get in contact so we can talk about it a little bit more. And that's, you know, undergraduate students or postgraduate students. Last year, it was a mix of both. It is just for BME or students of color, though, I think that has to be clear because last year there was a lot of interest from other students as well, but it's just a space only for those students. So yeah, so please do get in contact with me. And if there are students who are interested in research careers or Black students who are struggling in any way and they would like to talk to a Black faculty member, I'm also more than happy to speak to you. So please do get in touch if you would like to. 
Thank you, Althea. Sharda, is there anything that you would like to share with us? I'd just like to say thank you to the both of you for holding space for us to have these discussions on campus. It's really reaffirmed my decision to study at SOAS and it's made me feel like I'm definitely in the right place. So thank you. Yes, definitely. Thank you both. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for joining us today. I'm Lucia, the Black Student Support Coordinator, as well as Altea mentioned, if you are a Black student at SOAS, if you would have, if you would like to talk to someone on academic uh, progress, or if you'd just like to have a chat and hear about what I do within the students' unions, feel free to message me as well. For Black History Month, we have a few amazing uh, events and activities planned, so look out for those uh, as well. We'll be shared soon within our social media platforms. So thank you for joining us today.